0: What's going on, everybody? Jared Sandler welcoming you into the Justice Set conversation on my YouTube channel. Uh, We've got episode 52 coming out here today. My conversation with Jeff Levering, one of the broadcasters for the Milwaukee Brewers. He does radio. He does TV. He was a college baseball player uh, and even uh, showed some of the minor leaguers. Uh, what he was all about when he was coming up as a broadcaster, and they thought he was just some broadcasting twerp. He's got a great story uh, about that. But uh, uh, not only is Jeff a broadcaster for the Brewers, he also does some uh, some basketball as well in the offseason, a super, super talented broadcaster, a little bit older than me, and I remember when I was younger hearing the name Jeff Levering as a rising star, and he really is uh, a super talented broadcaster, What's interesting about his specific situation is that uh, he works alongside Bob Euchre, who is one of the living legends of broadcasting. Uh, you know, Rangers fans obviously uh, are familiar with Eric Nadell, the Hall of Fame broadcaster, who's been the radio voice of the Rangers for more than four decades. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of Vince Scully, who's one of the legends of broadcasting, John Miller with the Giants. Uh, Bob Euchre is uh, at that level, uh, and to some he is the... Uh, the top of the Mecca. Uh, Also known as Harry Doyle from uh, the movies Major League and uh, the Major League series. Uh, Bob Euchre's a legend, and Jeff Levering works alongside him, and and he's got some stories about that as well. But Jeff is carving out his own path to that sort of status, uh, and I really enjoyed my conversation with Jeff. Just a reminder again, would really appreciate if you would subscribe, like, comment, share the link. Any or all of those things uh, would really, really be of help. All right. So without further ado, though, here's episode 52 of the Justice Set Conversation with Jeff Levering. All right, Jeff. So this is very open-ended and and maybe somewhat lazy, but I always like asking this question. You can go in whatever direction you'd like. What was Jeff Levering like growing up? What stands out to you about your childhood?
1: Uh, Well, I I can look into the eyes of my five-year-old Jared right now and, and kind of, go back to where I was uh, very precocious when I was younger. Um, my, my, my mom and my dad always tell me that I had a mind of my own. know, I'll, I'll just preface it with this story. When I was two years old, dressed up in my Sunday best on an Easter Sunday. And my mom, we had this, this duo of ducks that used to always come over to our front yard. And I was all dressed up best outfit, saddle shoes, you know, early eighties, I mean you can kind of frame your mind around sweater vest and I went up behind these two ducks and I kicked one right in the rear end and it went head over heels and just started tumbling and rolling and then got up and went on its way but that was kind of who I was when I was a little kid like I was the kid that wouldn't kick the ducks and, and cause trouble and then uh till about third grade and then uh and then from that point I kind of calmed down I didn't have temper tantrums anymore and I just kind of went about my life so I I I was always adventurous. I was I was the kid that was always riding rollerblades and and uh, and biking all over the place to my friends. And I was always out. I played baseball. I played football. I played basketball. I did all that stuff. And baseball stuck. And I played baseball until I was finished with college. So it was a, a great childhood, a great adolescence, and then college hit and minor leagues hit and all that fun stuff. And we can get into more of that if you want to, but it was, I had a fun childhood. I I had a good time. My parents were very involved in my life. um, And I always stayed active. And that was the key for me. I had to stay active. If I ever had downtime, that was trouble time for me.
0: (laughs) So, and and I definitely want to get into the the college baseball stuff uh, in a second, but what drew you to sports? Was it just an outlet for the activity or was there something maybe more specific that, uh, allowed you to connect with whether it was baseball or just sports in general.
1: I think it was the social aspect more than anything. I liked being with my friends, and I, I liked being competitive. Um, and and this is this is true to to this day. Is is I always want to strive to be the best. Um, and I I drive myself uh, if I don't understand something or if I know I can get better at something. I'm going to work my tail off to get better. And and that was one thing that sports allowed me to do if i didn't like my swing on a particular day i'd go in the backyard and hit off a tee until my hands bled um i swam until i was 11 or 12 years old and i'd just jump in the pool and i'd go swim um playing soccer kicking goals uh tough to play football with by yourself but i could throw footballs into a net until i was blue in the face shoot hoops i mean i was doing all that stuff it was an outlet for me to try and get better and and like i said before um the less active I was, the more trouble that I was going to get into or the more attitude that I had. So it was more of a, hey, listen, we get, we got to keep this kid doing something. And, and I liked it. I loved it. I loved being a part of it. And, uh, and my folks were, were very gracious with their time to allow me to, to compete and, and to get better and, and take baseball lessons or whatever it was to, to get me to be a, a better athlete and a better version of myself.
0: All right, so you and your wife have done some pretty funny things during this uh, pandemic downtime uh, on social media, and and I, 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 you know, when I saw that, I, I thought back and I was like, yeah, you know, Jeff's always been like a a pretty creative guy. I certainly haven't been around you enough to uh, do a you know an entire character sketch or anything, but uh, <laughs> I, where where did that come from? Because I do think in in our line of work as a broadcaster, having some level of creativity or or wit, or you know, any of these sort of types of qualities is important. So, it, where did where does the creativity come from?
1: That's a that's a really good question. I'm I'm I don't know. Um, I, I will give my wife a lot of credit because she comes up with a good number of the ideas. Um, and the fact that we have two kids allows us to to have a lot more props for some of the stuff <laughs> that we've been doing. Um, so that kind of garners to it. And if we're feeling like, hey man, we can't do anything, we just let our kids run around. Or my son is. Um, he, he's more advanced for his age as a five-year-old with, with his language skills. So we we let him do a weather report one day. Um, but, but for the ideas and the creativity, I I think I've always tried to, I, have always had a a broad spectrum of different things that I did. I, I wasn't always just a sports guy. I liked going to, to musicals and Broadway shows and stuff and, um, you know, I, I acted a little bit when I was a kid in some some school plays and things like that. But I, I've always I've always been the kind of person. and My wife is, is very musically inclined. She was a dancer growing up and danced through college and stuff. So, um, you know, we've 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 got good creative juices together, and, and we have. And that's probably why we've been together for 14 years and married for seven going on eight. But it's uh, it's a, it was a collaborative effort for all of us. Um. And, and again, it, it kind of goes back to my childhood and growing up a little bit. My parents wanted me to, to be very well-rounded. Um, and that, that goes into going to musicals and playing sports. I played in, the, I played in a bunch of bands and um, played the drums forever, played the trumpet. I mean, I, I did basically everything. Um, so maybe the creativity comes from some, some of that. Um, but I give my wife a ton of credit, too, because she's... Listen, this is, this is a weird time for everybody, and... If, if you allow it to happen, you're going to pull every follicle out of your out of your head. And, um, and we have two kids. We're very fortunate to where the days are never dull. Uh, we're trying to entertain. We're trying to teach them. So we're just trying to incorporate every little thing that we can using the, the resources that we have at our house and, and just trying to, to stay creative and trying to keep our minds sharp. Because, if, again, if you allow it, this, this is the kind of time that's going to drive you crazy.
0: So I'm going to jump ahead and and we'll kind of get back into some sort of chronological organization. But uh, since we're talking about family, I'm curious, you know, you, you have two young kids. Uh, You mentioned a five-year-old and a two-year-old. You not only broadcast baseball, you do stuff in the off season with basketball, there's travel involved. What has been important for you in balancing your work, your family
1: my wife number one is uh she's a saint and she deserves all the awards and and every wife girlfriend husband significant other that's in this in this industry um who has a partner that's in this in the broadcast industry deserves all the medals um because without them we wouldn't be able to do what we do And, and i know you can speak for that too um, but they're, they're the real rocks of the situation to allow us to, to go out on the road for sometimes 10 days, sometimes 12 days at a time, um, and, and allow us to live our dreams. And, and for me, balancing, balancing that, but the hardest thing, and, and I got to the big leagues, I was in the minor leagues for eight years, and, and uh, we, had, we had Brock, our, our oldest five-year-old son, right before I, I got my first major league job. So he doesn't he never knew what it was like to, to go to a minor league ballpark. And I think that's really cool. But adjusting to that, adjusting to the schedule, more games, uh, moving to a different city when he was four months old. It was all a lot. It was all going on at the same time. And and when I started you know, And that was, my again, my first year in the big leagues. I knew what traveling was like, but it was just with, with my wife at home. So it was just one person you had to worry about. So when he started to get a little older, two, three years old, and he knew knew that I was leaving, um, that was really hard. Those days where it was, okay, dad's going to be gone for a week or he's going to be gone for 10 days, those days were the hardest. And they're still really hard when I have to say bye. And, and during this time, I, I'm really lucky um to have this time with my family and reconnect. And, and there was a time maybe about a month ago when we were talking to my son about what was happening. And again, he's a little bit more advanced with what's going on with him mentally. And he, he goes, you know, I, I really miss baseball. Dad. I, I miss watching the games and he, and then he followed up with, but I know if baseball's here, then you're not going to be here. So I'm kind of liking this right now. And, and I love it, too. I get to put my kids to sleep every single night. I, I get to be a part of family dinners. It's the most normal that our life will ever be. Uh, but the balance of that during the off-season, off-baseball season and basketball season where I'm gone for just you know, 24, 48 hours at the most, those are, those are pretty easy days for my wife. Um, but when the baseball season's here and she's got two kids running around and she's by herself for almost two weeks at a time, those aren't easy days, um, and Facetime is a is a godsend at this point. And the fact that I can watch a little league game over Facetime or get some live updates or whatever from my wife and chat before they go to bed is it's really it's it's much better. It's still hard. It still rips my heart out knowing I'm going to miss a lot of different things. Um, but that's this is the path that we we went on, and and they get it, they understand it, and uh, we just try and do the best we can with it.
0: All right. So earlier you mentioned playing baseball through college. You went to Chapman. I think Chapman won the D three national title last year, right? Am I, am I making that up?
1: Nope, they won it last year, and, and we won it when I was a yeah. sophomore too.
0: So you know, I was going to ask, and I think you were, if my uh, research is accurate, you <laughs> were. I know you were a catcher, but you for that in in that sophomore season for the the national title run, you were the you were a DH. Is that right? That's
1: correct. Okay, yep, I was yeah, I was not a defensive superstar, so I was in there <laughs> for my bat, and that was about it. What um, it was fun!
0: What was that like? Uh, you know, in any team sport, winning a championship, no matter the level, is obviously the uh, the goal, and that's what leads to the the celebrations. And I don't know if you guys had a parade in Southern California, but uh, what was that experience like? Because that's obviously again uh, reaching the the top of the mountain for any team sport.
1: Yeah, it was a blast, uh, and, and coincidentally enough, the national championship was played in Appleton, Wisconsin, so <laughs> we were able to to win it here in Wisconsin, and my last game that I ever played was in the College World Series my senior year. a, a week fly out to last, but that was in Wisconsin, and then my big league career began on the broadcasting side, so it, it's some cool little symbolism and symmetry there. Uh, but the 03 team was, was a blast. Uh, we had a lot of great players on that team one that got drafted by the a's in the fifth or sixth round pitcher um but it was a a really fun run and that was the first year of a new head coach i got recruited by a different coach who ended up going to uc davis and now he's at ucla as an associate head coach um but it was all of his holdovers in the recruiting class and we just took the bull by the horns and we ran with it and um in all the tournaments we played in, in the regionals and in the World Series, we lost Game Two and then had to come through the, the losers bracket and sweep the last day in order to get get through it. And we did that in the regional. We did it in the in the College World Series. Uh, it was a it was a blast. Um, I had a really bad offensive College World Series. I, I remember because going into the, the World Series, I was hitting above three hundred and having a good season, and then I was O for my first eleven in the World Series. And like my average dropped below three hundred, I went. God, this is brutal. It sucks. And then in the championship game, when we had to win two straight to win the title, um, I had a good day. Ended up driving in the go-ahead run in the the last game. So that was it. Was fun. It was a blast. Um, the party afterwards, uh, we tore up Main Street in in Appleton. Uh, the Wooden Nickel Tavern. Never forget it. You, if you bought two pitchers of beer, um, you ended up getting a free T-shirt. I still had the T-shirt. Um, <laughs> I mean, we had, a, we had a great time. There was no parade, uh, but when we got back, we, uh, which was a, a, the longest day, I think, in the history of my life, because I was not feeling good that day for obvious reasons, um, and then we took a bus. We landed at LAX, and we took a bus to Orange County, and as you know, that can be a, a really tough drive um, in a car, let alone a school bus when you're hung over. So, um, that was not a fun, not a fun bus ride. And then as soon as we got off the bus, I remember the president of our university shaking everybody's hand and, and giving high fives. There were probably I don't know 40 people there. And, um, and I saw the president of the university and went, Hey, yeah, way, way to go. Way to go. And then I felt really sick and I found a palm tree and, and relieved myself of my sickness there in front of the president of the university. So that was fun. Uh, Better than on him that, though, right? No, it wasn't on him. It wasn't on his shoes, so that was good. Yes. I, I didn't get expelled. But the one thing i always remember is that we, we uh, were celebrated at Angel Stadium later that summer. Angel Stadium was on the same street as, as Chatham University, and uh, they were playing a near-league series against the Phillies, and we were on the field in our uniforms, and they announced us on the big screen, and the first time I was ever on a big-league field, and it was really cool. But I'll never forget this. Jim told me he was playing for the Phillies, and we're walking on the warning track, and and I kind of looked at him and went, holy crap, that's Jim Tomey. That's so awesome. And he he stopped his conversation and looked at us, and I, I made eye contact with him. he goes, hey, man, you guys just pulled off something that not a lot of people get to do. Enjoy this championship. It's so cool that you guys are able to win that, and you guys are here today celebrating. I didn't even say anything to him, and he just offered that. And I'll never forget Jim Tomey just – Hall of Famer now and going out of his way to, to wish us a congratulations. That was a cool moment.
0: That's really cool. He has he has a reputation of being an awesome guy. I guess it's it's mm-hmm. things like that that kind of help develop that reputation.
1: Ooh. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And he didn't have to do that. He could have kept having his conversation with whoever he was talking with. I don't know Mike Lieberthal, whoever was on that team. <laughs> but he made he he went out of his way, and I thought that was really neat. And obviously, it still resonates.
0: Of course, you go to Mike Lieberthal as a catcher. You you know you always think about that uh you know that catcher. <laughs> hey, hey Jeff, I'm I'm curious because and I think you know without speaking for you, I'm sure you've seen examples of this and uh, you know maybe through your own experiences that you know sports on the surface they're fun, the competition, the the teammates and whatnot. But I do think that you know if if you have the right experience, it can help you grow, teach you something. Uh, what did your college baseball experiences teach you that maybe helped you uh, for life after college?
1: Um, there, there's a lot to that. Um, I've played for some great coaches in my life and uh, especially my high school and my two college coaches. Um, I, in high school, it was more about morals and ethics. And this is, this is how you lead your life and a man for others and, and, things of that nature. And it's always for your teammates. Um, I I grew so much in high school. Of course, those are your very formative years in college. My first year, my first head coach and the guy that drafted me getting me outside of my bubble from people that I had known forever, um, and meeting new people and getting to know new teammates. That's not an easy thing, but we gelled really well. And he taught me more about the game of baseball Um, than anybody ever had in my, in my career. So I I really thank him for that. And then the last coach that I, I played for, um, who we won the national title with, I I learned that this is not how I want to coach. This is not how I want to treat other people. And and this is not how, um, this experience should be. And, And I really had to dig deep for those final three years of my college experience to, to get through it. It was not easy. Um, he was great if you were one of his guys, but if you weren't one of his guys, he treated you like garbage. And I, I was not treated very well, which was fine. And again, I grew from that, um, how not to, to deal with people. And, uh, it was a great learning experience for me during the time it was hell. Um, and, and in those years when I'm 19, 20, 21 years old, those are supposed to be the best years of your life, right? Those were not easy years for me. Um, just because of what I was going through on the field. So that's what that kind of taught me. Um, and and you look at, at how parents interact with different coaches and things. And I'm sitting here with my son who's began T-ball last year. And how do I want to be a parent and and how, how do I want to look at my coaches in the future and, um, how my dad was with coaches at, at times, um it's those are the things that i I take the most from that collegiate experience um about how i want to transfer that onto my kids how i want my son loves playing baseball but right now it's really hard for me not to to try and coach him at the same time he's he's trying to learn his body and learn how things work and he's five he doesn't need to be taking a hundred hacks into a a screen off a tee every day. He doesn't need that. He just wants to go out and run around and and be a goofball. Go ahead, do it, do it. And and I think that's those are things that I learned in college where it doesn't have to be so serious all the time and and really really have fun and enjoy because there's going to be a time in life where you can burn out. Um, and I, I had that in high school a little bit, my junior year, and and then I found the passion again. So. I mean, everybody's watching you know, the, the the last dance right now, right? Michael Jordan burned out. Everybody burns out. There's a time. And then you have to re, reestablish that that fire in your belly. And, um, you know, I learned a lot of that when I was going through college.
0: I'm just curious, I, and, and feel free to say that nothing comes to mind, but, you know, when you were talking about your experience with the coach with whom you won a national title and, and maybe the lessons you learned on how not to do things – uh, in juxtaposition with with your first coach and and maybe some some previous coaches, you get to be around a lot of high level coaches. Whether it's managers at the big league level, uh, members of his staff, front office, uh, and then I'm sure you know through your your basketball broadcasting, you're around some people who they're at that level for a reason. And when you said that, I thought about a few things that maybe I've without seeking it taken away from conversations I've had or been a part of with uh, a big league manager or a professional coach who was not my coach. But Mm -hmm. again, through conversation, you just, you you pick things up. Is is there anything that from any of the coaches you've been around as a broadcaster that has just stuck with you for whatever reason, whether they were intentionally trying to impart wisdom or just having a random conversation?
1: Uh, I mean, Going through the minor leagues and now in the big leagues, I've been around a lot of different coaches. And you mentioned the basketball stuff, too. And, and I think that they're, they're different um, because in, in, in the minor leagues, and you've experienced this too, Jared, where it's development. It's, you're dealing with a lot of different different type of people. Um, and I, I think I learned a lot in my two years in AAA, more than anything else, just because of the way that those managers, and it was Gary DeSarcina, um and kevin Bowles. those are my two managers that i had in Pawtucket, um and how they were able to manage people uh it was more managing people and trying to get the best out of that situation because triple a level you 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 got guys that are on the the cusp of the big leagues and then you have the the six-year free agents and seven-year free agents that are just trying to hang on still right so you you for all intents and purposes, you have some players that have some attitudes like, oh, man, I got the ass today, and I'm in AAA, and I was in the big leagues before, and it's not easy. Those are those are tough guys to be around. And then you have the guys that are just straight up from A that are trying to get to the big leagues. So you have those different types of personalities that you're trying to maybe keep away from the young kids that still have that drive, and maybe you isolate those veteran guys those two managers that I had in AAA molded the personalities, and it was the Red Sox system, um, and they were in the middle of winning a World Series in 2013, and they used a bunch of kids from the So it was those guys did such a great job of, of molding the personalities, having fun, keeping things light while still getting their work in. So in the minor league level, again, you're trying to develop all these different people um so your coaching style is different when you get to the big leagues your work still is not done you're still trying to get the most out of these players but it's more out of maintaining and i think you've seen that too jared it's maintaining um the drive and making sure these people's routines and these players that are just so programmed it's making sure that those routines don't get interrupted. Um, but there, I mean, when I first started with the Brewers, Ron Reneke was the manor, manager. And I, I never called a game with Ron Reneke as the manager of the Brewers. That's the crazy part of this. Um, the first game that I did in my first year was in May, and Craig Council had already taken over. So he's the only manager I've, I've really, quote, been with. And the way that he has built that clubhouse, um, where he's managing players that he was teammates with, which I, I have the hardest time imagining um, that, these, that some of these managers in the big leagues are actually um, managing players that they were teammates with. That's got to be the hardest thing ever. Uh, but Ryan Braun was one of his teammates, and he saw him coming through as a young kid, and he's seen him now morph for the last 13 years as a big league player. And he's a different guy. They're all different guys. And, and still trying to get the best out of him and motivate him to continue on, uh, I think is a really special skill and and managers working with their coaching staffs coaches can 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 lose their drive just as easily as players can if they feel like they're not treated well or if um they feel like their their skills are in a different place but that has never been the case with craig as the manager in milwaukee um he he does such a good job of keeping everybody on the same page he keeps things light He's super sarcastic, and he's, he's the smartest person in the room, no matter where you go. Um, he's a, he's very cerebral, um, and he's not afraid to learn things. And, and that's that's another big part. You're, you're you're always trying to develop yourself, and you're always trying to learn things. I think Craig is one of the best. You mentioned that college coaches that's a different level. You're still trying to educate. You're still trying to, to get the most out of those players. I go to shoot-arounds all the time, and, and I can tell the coaches that, that have the ear of their players, And then you can tell the coaches that don't, and their message is just—it's just stale. Um, But with college, you get four years, and then the the cycle continues. So your your message can get stale, and then those players leave, and you can continue on with the next crop of guys. So it's different; it's just different between the college game and the pro level uh, on how these coaches try and motivate and try and get the best out of their players.
0: Jeff, did you have a tough decision? When you were done with college, as to whether to continue to pursue baseball, I think I read that you know you said, "Listen, I'm not going to be a major leaguer," but I, I think still playing minor league baseball, you're a professional baseball player, and that's an incredible accomplishment. You'd obviously dedicated a lot of time and effort towards playing baseball. So, was that a tough decision to decide? You know what? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna go now and pursue uh, the broadcasting route. I think you, you know you had kind of studied. Uh, and prepared for that a little bit in college, or was that a tough decision that you spent hours and hours kind of going over?
1: No, it was not a hard decision, Jared. It was pretty easy. As soon as I signed my letter of intent to go to Chapman, uh, which is the D3 school, and I went, hey, listen, I- I'm not going to be a big league player. I had a couple of scouts talk to me when I was in high school, and, and I thought that was a real thrill um, after a couple of big games. But I-, I I knew the writing was on the wall. I wasn't going to be a professional baseball player, um, I had a great experience in college and, and, and that was it. And especially the last two years when I was uh, coming off the bench mostly and not playing very much. And uh, despite having some success my first couple of years, but as soon as that process happened and I wasn't playing very much, I, I was totally fine with, with being done. Um, and then starting my career in a different direction. I, I was okay with that. I was very at peace with that. Uh, and I was ready for another challenge. I think I, there are a lot of people that, that, really hanker over that decision. Some guys that I even played with that, frankly, they, they should have known that they weren't going to play professionally. Um, but they had a tough time making that decision on whether to play indie ball or, or go play somewhere overseas. And it's just like, guys, come on. There's only so long that dream is, is going to last. And and maybe you need to start living a little bit. And I I was fortunate with my decision where I, at 22 years old, 21 years old, I knew what I was going to do. All
0: right. So, I'm curious how your minor league or your, your college baseball experience has kind of helped you connect uh, and still maybe helped you connect with people and, and your perspective. But I, I read about a, a certain incident in Rancho, which was one of your minor league stops, in which you actually got a, to swing a bat and, and maybe prove a little bit of a point. Uh, got some some respect. Can you? Uh, would you mind sharing that story?
1: Yeah, that was my first year. It was 2007. Um, Rancho Cucamonga and so I was only two years removed from playing so I, I didn't swing a bat I didn't take BP I didn't play catch I did once my career was over I was like I'm done I, I don't need to go run poles anymore I'm I'm good um, so we were on the bus one day we were playing a series in high desert and we commuted everywhere in the southern division the Cal League so it was a about a 45-minute hour drive up to the high desert in Atalanto, the city of unlimited possibilities, because there's <laughs> nothing there. Um, so we're on the bus, and uh, I was having a conversation about hitting with uh, one of our players who was a second-round pick, and I was just talking about what he wanted to do, what he was working on, and, and it was a, a very generic conversation. He goes, man, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You were not a pro baseball player. You played D3 ball. I went, well, I mean, that's that's better than nothing. I mean, so what do I need to, to do to, to prove to you that I can, that I can hit or that I know what I'm talking about? He goes, well, why don't you get in the cage? All right, I'll go get in the cage. So we go and play the game. We drive home uh, on the bus that night after probably a long game, it was three and a half hours and probably 15 to 14 or something like that. Cause every game in high desert was like that. <laughs> so once we, we got back to Rancho Cucamonga for the night, he goes, Hey, don't forget your stuff tomorrow. You're getting in the cage. Um, so I said, all right, no problem. So I brought a couple of my bats, and I still had some wood bats from, from my college days. And I brought my, my, my gear, and I set it up with our pitching coach, who's Ken Patterson, a left-handed pitcher, who pitched in Big leagues for a little bit. He was our pitching coach that year. He goes, yeah, man, when when they're out stretching, I'll throw you a couple balls, and, and you can take a little, little BP with our guys. So I'm, oh, cool. All right, that sounds fine. So I'm all jacked up. Oh, this is great! I get to take BP. It's in a home run hitter's park. Man, I'm going to feel really good about myself. So we get to the ballpark and and I get some of my my pregame stuff out of the way and I go down when they're about ready to take BP. And I get in the cage and they're all the whole team is stretching and the, the High Desert team is stretching out on the left side too. They just finished BP and their pitchers are getting some work in. So everybody's out on the field and KP starts. He's getting loose and I get in the box. I bunted one then I hit a base hit up the middle, squared it up, and on second pitch I went deep. Like not like not like a wall scraper, I went deep, deep. <laughs> and everybody that was playing catch down the right field line just stopped. And they went, "What was that?" And I just kind of put my butt, I put my bat down and I walked out of the cage cuz what am I going to do from there, right? So, uh, from then on I had a little bit more street cred with that team. Um and one of the players on the team actually liked he grabbed one of my bats during BP and started swinging. He goes, "Can I use this in the game?" I went, "Yeah, man, but if you break it, you owe me a few <laughs> years." And uh, first at bat, he goes up there and he shattered this thing into a million pieces. Um, so I ended up walking away with a few of his bats, and they were he was in big league spring training, so it's big league wood, and I still got some of those bats to this day. But that was that was a fun moment where I could be like, "Hey, I've I've done this before. I, I, I kind of know what I'm doing," and I had some I had some pretty good cred after that.
0: So you you spend time in the minors, and then you get an opportunity to, I guess, interview for the Milwaukee Brewers job. And mm-hmm. uh, anyone who knows anything about broadcasters and and where they might be. Uh, they know that Bob Uecker is the longtime voice of the Brewers, and for several reasons, has achieved this this legendary status uh, to the non baseball fan. It might be because of the Major League movie series, but I mean, it, this guy is uh, is an incredibly special broadcaster. Has been doing it for so long, uh, and I understand that a part of the interview process was a dinner with Bob Uecker. So what what was that like, and how were you? Were you nervous? Were you excited? Were you calm and cool and collected? What was that?
1: Uh, so that was my last interview, um, having having dinner with Bob and his wife. And it was the day before Christmas Eve, 2014. Uh, and when I, I got the, the note um, from, from my now boss that I had one more interview and it was to go down and, and to Scottsdale, they were going to fly me down to Scottsdale, put me up in a hotel and then go have dinner with Bob and then fly back the next day. Um, I needed another pair of underwear. Like that, that's the, that's the thought, right? Oh my God, I'm, this is, this is real. <laughs> um, and, and my last test is to go have dinner with Bob. And if I pass that test, then maybe I'll be in the big leagues. And if I don't pass that test, well, I just ruined my life. Um, so there's a lot writing on that conversation. Plus, he's larger than life. You're having dinner with at that time because I didn't know him. You're having dinner with Harry Doyle. You're having dinner with with Mr. Belvedere and and it's it's unbelievable. So I, I was nervous. I was totally nervous. Um, and you have to be in that situation. If you're not nervous, then you got to check yourself for a pulse. Um, but it it was great. And, and he has a way of immediately disarming you and making you feel good, and making you feel like you're a part of the conversation, even though he's talking 75% of the time, but that's the beauty of, of what Bob is, and, and I showed up at the restaurant, it's Don and Charlie's, famous Scottsdale restaurant, which is now gone, sadly, he's sitting at his table, and I go up to the, to the, uh, the wait booth, and I said, hey, I'm here for my dinner with Bob at 6.30, and oh, he's been here for a half an hour, oh my God, I'm late, I can't believe I'm late, and I got there a half an hour early, and um, he got the time wrong, so he admitted that as soon as I stepped down. And that, like, oh, my gosh, this is insane. I can't believe I'm having dinner with Bob and his wife. And I showed up late, even though he got the time wrong. I feel like I'm, I'm really up a creek without a paddle. And then five minutes into the conversation, and I don't even remember what we am talking about. I have no idea what we were talking about because it's that scene from, from old school where Frank, blacks out when he's giving his response. I, I kind of blacked out. I don't know what was happening. So, 5 minutes in around the corner from where Bob was sitting comes former commissioner at that time he was the commissioner, Bud Sealing. and he's the only guy that can get away with calling him Al and he goes, "Hey Al, I want you to meet Jeff. He's going to be working with us next year." And I I didn't have the job at that time. Nobody told me that I had the job. Um, and then hearing Bob say those words to the commissioner of baseball, um, again, I needed another pair of underwear and then finish out my, my two and a half hour dinner with Bob and his wife. I mean, it was insane and I still didn't have the job, uh, but it was a great dinner. We had so much fun and it, it was the, the building blocks of what's become a, a great relationship with my broadcast partner for the last six years. Um, that's how it started. I was totally nervous. And, and even leaving even leaving the dinner, and he said, okay, so we'll see you in a couple of weeks, right? Brewer's on deck. I, went, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I still don't <laughs> have the job. He goes, well, I'll call, I'll call, I'll call, such and such, and we'll, we'll take care of it. I went, uh, okay, okay. And then I didn't hear from my boss for another week. I had to wait till New Year's Day to, to get that news, and that was a full week with Christmas and all that stuff that was happening and the you know, holidays. So I I mean I had to sit on that dinner and well, we'll call you in a couple of weeks for a whole week. It's unbelievable. But that that it was an amazing dinner and an amazing night. I'll never forget it.
0: And and what's it been like working with them, both uh you know, from the standpoint of the relationship you guys have developed, maybe things you've learned from him, but also uh I, I and I don't know what the, the Brewer fan base is like as far as this is concerned, but ha- has there been any challenges you've had to overcome as far as dealing with the the shadow of of a legend and working alongside a guy like bob uecker
1: i mean for me my whole my whole job is to make sure that he sounds as good as he possibly can and for me that's just shutting up and and trying to to get more out of him if he starts telling a story in the middle of a blowout it's for me asking questions and pulling more out of him and peeling more layers off of that onion. Uh, because he can, depending on how he's feeling on that day, he can be really surface with some of his stories and just focus on the game, or if he wants to go deeper into stories and have more fun, we can do that too. So my job is is really just making sure he is as good as possible. Uh, There are some challenges, of course, working with him because his his personality is so larger than life um, and everybody knows who he is and they see him and everybody wants a piece of him and, there's not, if it happens a hundred times a day, then it, it happens once, but it's everybody walks by, ooh, must be in the front row or ooh, just a bit outside. Like you feel like you're the lions in the zoo sometimes and people are putting their tongues up against the glass. Like that's what it feels like sometimes. Um, and taking your pictures, I couldn't tell you how many pictures I've ruined because I've gotten <laughs> half of my face in a picture that they're trying to get a picture of Bob like that, that is, that's part of it. That's part of working with him. It, it's not easy, but that's just part of the, the life that we live working with Bob and his celebrity. Um, it's not hard. It's not hard for me to do what I do because again, he's the star, he's the star of the show and I'm just the co-star trying to make him better. Um, and that's okay. And I'm totally at peace with that. And I don't need to be the star. And I think There are a lot of people in this business that would, would struggle with that because they would feel that they need to match his humor or match his stories or try and go word for word with him. And, and I learned really early that if I tried that, I would fail miserably and he would not like it. The fan base wouldn't like it. And that's not what I'm trying to do. And, um, and, and I, there's no reason for me to try and be somebody that I'm not or try and compete with that. Cause I'm just not, it's not going to happen. It, it, it would be like trying to get an acting job with next to Robert De Niro and trying to, to be as good as Robert De Niro. It's just not going to happen. Um, so why try just be the best version of yourself and make him sound as good as possible.
0: All right, Jeff, I got a couple of quick hitters for you. Uh, one one of your broadcasting teammates with the brewers is Brian Anderson who like you uh does multiple sports and also like you was a, a catcher uh mm-hmm. collegiately and i'm curious do you and 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 for people in dfw listening brian's brother mike is uh, a high ranking member of of john daniels's front office uh and and with the rangers and has been for a while uh but do you and Brian ever compare catching notes? Do you guys ever uh, try and, uh, you know, over a beverage uh, trade some of the glory day stories or any like friendly competitions? Because it's, it's there probably aren't many baseball teams that have two play-by-play guys, not just pure former players who played collegiately and were both catchers.
1: Yeah, it, it is pretty crazy the symmetry that the BA and I have in our career paths and what we've been able to do. Uh, we play a lot of golf together during the regular season on road trips, and sometimes when the weather's good here in Wisconsin in the off season too. Uh, so we we go back and forth. But I mean, Yuke was a former catcher too, and and the A's partner on television, Bill Schroeder, was a former catcher. We got four former catchers that are sitting there as part of our broadcast team, which is a lot of fun. I think um, that
0: there's we got to investigate, Jeff. We need a little more diversity there with the Brewers. <laughs>
1: Well, we got Lane. Lane. He's not even a baseball <laughs> yeah. player, so that's he he brings the bar way down. So um, it's no. It, we, BA and I have a great relationship. We we share the same agency group. Um, our trajectories have been very similar. Um, and, and for basketball stuff, the college stuff that I do, I basically get the games that he doesn't want to do, and I'm totally fine with that. I'm good. It, it's really helped me out a lot in my career, uh, riding his coattails. But we have a really good relationship and. Um, we're able to talk a lot about about broadcasting, about baseball, and having Mike uh, Ba's brother around a lot um, as a scout and to pick his brain on certain things. It, it's a lot of fun for us, and you know we're, we're more uh, cerebral than I think a lot of people give us credit for. And, and having played the game, we can have conversations with our partners. Um, you know, me talking with Bob about the catching position, about gear, and about the different gloves and masks and and taking from his era into my era and vice versa, uh, it, it just gives us like, a, like we talked about earlier about me hitting the home run of the minor leagues MVP. Um, it just gives you a little bit more cachet with, with the players and, and how you can have conversations because you've done it before and, and they appreciate that. Um, and, and they give you more credit than sometimes maybe you deserve, but um, for, for BA and I to have that type of relationship and, uh, for him to be such a supporter of mine, and I'm such a big supporter of his, of course, um, I, I couldn't I couldn't thank him enough for, for what he's been able to do and, and help me along the way for the last few years.
0: All right, last one for you, Jeff. I read that when you were in AA, the the manager was uh, in, in charge of what was on the screens during these bus trips and loved horror movies, and yeah. so you were subjected to a summer full of horror movies. I can't stand horror movies. Uh yeah. What <laughs> what is your relationship these days with horror movies, and and if you even have a favorite one, if that's possible, uh, from that summer, which ones did? Which was the most bearable?
1: Well, it was two years worth, so it wasn't just one summer. Oh gosh, worth, and, and it was the 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 bloodier the better was the quote from him, current third base coach for the St. Louis Cardinals. You can do your own research on that for those that are listening. So, uh, and his whole theory was, I don't want somebody who was zero for four, and we're going on a long bus ride to be. Um, to be the only one who's upset and the guy who's four for four gloating because we're watching a comedy movie. So you just wanted everybody to be pissed off while, <laughs> while we were on the buses for 16 hours going down to Corpus Christi or something. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if I have a favorite one because I just basically got a, a plastic grocery bag and, and filled it up with the – I developed a relationship with the the local CD warehouse and they had all these movies. I just pick up the most obscure ones and and he had rules. Like I won't watch a movie twice. So get these B movies and C movies. So that was, that was the hardest part of my job in double it. Finding the movies for the road trips. Terrible. Um, I I will tell you this. We had a fun moment. uh, Not fun. It was actually terrifying. Watching a scary movie in the middle of a rainstorm in Arkansas, driving from Little Rock to Tulsa one night, middle of the night rainstorm. We're watching the movie insidious, Uh, which I I enjoy. It's a good, it's a, it's a a scary movie jump out. It's good. And uh, I can stomach it at least. Um, But we're, we're in the middle of this, this gale storm. And there was a car that was perpendicular to the road in the right lane of a two lane highway. And um, our bus driver didn't see it until the very last moment. We missed this. We missed this car. And I'm telling you by a foot by a foot and it was at the most dramatic scary moment in the movie and our bus driver swerves and he goes down into the into the the uh, the gully between the two parts of the highway and then comes back up in the middle of this rainstorm we're all freaking out because of the movie we're all freaking out because of the bus dipping down into the gully and then coming back up everybody needed new underwear after that one um <laughs> So it was, it was scary. It was really, really scary. But that's one that will always stick out to me just because of the situation and, and what we were going through. Nobody else slept a wink the rest of that trip, too.
0: Well, there you go, episode 52 of the Justice Set Conversation with my pal Jeff Levering, voice of the Milwaukee Brewers alongside the legendary Bob Euchre. And, uh, Jeff also shows that pretty face on television, Uh, from time to time all right uh, we've got more episodes coming up here later in the week so be sure to look out for those would appreciate if you would subscribe to the channel it just takes a click you're not really going to get spammed Uh, if you want to like the video that'd be kind of sweet maybe comment or just share the link with your friends i would really really appreciate any and all of those Uh, but until we chat next be safe stay healthy we'll talk to you soon